0: I was really impressed with the uh, spinders and bow ties that the Pittman children had this morning. I thought I was uh, stretching the boundaries of my fashion um, with uh, a, a pink shirt today. We we um, we went shopping on Friday and I got a door buster and I was absolutely... Um, determined not to to stretch beyond my normal white and blue uh, dress shirts. And so I told Mandy to pick me a shirt, and she came out with a pink shirt. And I said, okay, I have trusted her for the last 24 years. I'll continue to trust her. And so since I was preaching on love this morning, I thought I'll uh, break out the pink shirt this morning. I am only going to deal with verse 9 this morning. We'll pick up uh, from there next week and continue to look at this passage. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that You would uh, fill us with Your Spirit and fill us um, with the Spirit of love one for another, uh, not only here in the body of Christ, but Lord, uh, help us to... To be um, especially um, adept and um, and well skilled at uh, loving others, because Christ has so loved us. We pray in His name, Amen. All right, uh, just for review, in verses three through eight, uh, Paul told us how we are to serve in the church. In a word, he told us that we are that God has given us God given spiritual gifts that we are to use with all our heart to build up the church and to to fulfill our God given mission. But while we do that, we must always prioritize love one for another. This is Paul's message to the church in verses nine through twenty one and especially verses 9-13. through He's saying to the church that love must overlay every action and every interaction within the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that if a church or even an individual within the church does great things for God, if they do it without love, they are nothing. In fact, They are more than nothing, or less than nothing, I guess would be more appropriate to say. They are annoying. A person who is doing things for God is annoying to God and annoying to everybody else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What is more annoying than a a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? In many churches, it is commonplace for the decisions uh, in the church to be made according to the strongest personalities or according to the people who give the most money. Power politics is the way things get done in many churches. And Paul condemns all such tactics In verses 9 through 14, love one for another must be the overriding concern in all our decisions, in all our discussions, in all our relationships, and in all our service for the church. I'll go even further. Even in our disagreements in the church, love must be our primary concern speaking in generalities about love at this point, but I intend to get very specific as we move through this sermon because Paul paints for us a detailed portrait of what love within the church looks like. The first thing he tells us is that love must be genuine. And this is a command. Your love must be genuine and it must be sincere. The word Paul uses for genuine is the Greek word on hypocritos, which means literally unhypocritical. Most of us just spent Thanksgiving with relatives that we don't see often. And invariably, there's always someone in the family that's just difficult to get along with. Right? Um, sometimes, We may be the person who's difficult for for the rest of the family to get along with. Uh, But we were up in Atlanta. I have a cousin that is on the opposite side from me and really the whole rest of the family politically and spiritually. And he cannot have a civil conversation about either subject. And with his favorite candidate... um, losing the election for president, I was really concerned about his attitude at my parents' annual Thanksgiving bash. And I was so relieved when I found out he had to work on Thanksgiving Day and could not attend. Well, this is not an example of genuine, unhypocritical love. But I tell you this story not to point out my own sin, but rather to make the point that there are indeed people who are genuinely difficult to love and we are called, we are commanded by Paul here in this passage to love them genuinely and sincerely. We are to love them without hypocrisy. Paul is saying it's not enough to be polite or to be helpful and warm on the outside toward the person, yet inwardly despise them. Paul tells us that we are to love them genuinely. Well now, how does the Gospel help us to sincerely love people who are genuinely difficult to get along with? First of all, the Gospel teaches us that we are not loved by God because we ourselves are intrinsically lovable. Um, The Gospel teaches us that we haven't done enough good things, nor could we ever do enough good things to make ourselves lovable, to make ourselves attractive uh, and beautiful to God. There's nothing we could do. Even our good works, are like dirty rags. We are loved simply because God chose to love us. And even though He chose to love us, that does not make us lovable. What He had to do was He sent His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, down here into this world to take on weak human flesh and then go to the cross and die for our sins in our place. We are lovable to God because Jesus died for us, and Jesus makes us beautiful and attractive. And it's only in Jesus that we can be lovable to God. And so, if you keep this truth before you, while you're struggling to love someone else, what you're going to find is repentance begin growing within you you begin you 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 remember your identity outside of Christ that you were unlovable, and that will help you as you are struggling to love that other person because you'll find yourself saying, "Oh Lord." I was so much more unlovable to You than this person is to me Yet You gave Your one and only Son up to that awful cross for me. And so, God, all You're requiring of me is that I give up some time and give up some effort for this other person. God, forgive me for not loving this person. Help me to love this person well. You know, the truth is, we rarely love anybody, whether they are difficult to love or not, with genuine sincerity. But as we show, I'm sorry, as we show love in remembering God's love for us, what happens is our hearts begin to soften. And as we serve that person, We grow in sincerity in our love by the power of God's grace at work in our life. We are called to have love that is genuine. Our love is often not going to be genuine um, because we love ourselves so much. But as we remember Christ, as we remember God's love for us who were so unlovable, who were rebels, in His presence. God will give us grace as we serve with a desire to please the Lord and a sincere desire to grow in our love for this other person. He'll help us. The power of God's grace turns the engine of repentance. Repentance is the engine then that drives growth in the Christian life. And so I want to urge you, keep looking to Jesus for the power of God's grace to keep empowering your repentance in your walk with God. And so whether it be lack of love for another person, or whether it be a habitual sin that you're struggling with, or whether it be... Ongoing fear or, or ongoing unbelief or whatever. Keep looking to Jesus. And as you do that, His, His power will be at work in you to help you repent. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance drives growth in the Christian life. God's power drives our repentance and helps us to grow in Christ. So, the first thing Paul tells us in verse 9 is let love be genuine. Moving on in verse 9, Paul says something surprising. At first glance, it doesn't seem appropriate for him to say what he says when he is discussing the subject of love. He says that hatred is part of a godly definition of love. Paul says we are to abhor or hate What is evil? Literally, the Greek conveys the idea that we are to be horrified by what is evil. Now, Paul's not saying that we should go around judging everybody else and then react in horror when we see their sin. Judgment always begins with ourselves. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul is saying that we need to start with ourselves. We need to look at ourselves with a critical eye. We must abhor the evil that is in us. And that will help with the repentance because we'll see how much we need the Lord Jesus. And we'll keep our eyes fixed on Him and He'll drive that repentance. And so Paul here is saying... Abhor what is evil. And then he also says, hold fast to what is good, but we'll get there in a second. What Paul is saying here is that our love must be grounded in truth. Tim Keller says our love must operate on the basis of God's moral order. We are to abhor what is evil because we recognize what is evil because God has told us what is evil. We are to um, adhere to or hold fast to what is good because God has told us what is good. If we say, therefore, that we love God, but we also love our sin, and we are unwilling to take any steps to part with our sin, what does that say about our love for God? He's saying our own love for God is not genuine. True love for God will drive us to hate our sin in our own life. Similarly, it is commonplace that we allow others, I'm sorry, that we allow others we love to continue in a sinful lifestyle because we love them too much to hurt their feelings by addressing their sins. Paul is saying this type of love is not real love for the other person. That the love that will not address a sinful lifestyle in a brother or sister in Christ is really a selfish love for ourselves. We don't want that person to get mad at us. Paul is saying when he says, abhor what is evil and adhere to what is good, he's saying real love includes a tough love in which people love each other enough to confront problems and sins in themselves and in their brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul also says that real love holds fast to what is good. Real love is always on the lookout for what is good. Real love is looking intently. Where can I see good in this other person? Where can I encourage this other person? Or to listen to Paul again in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4-7. through He says, "...love is patient." And kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This idea of holding fast to the good is especially difficult when you have something against that person that you are called to love, when you are holding something against another person, it is nearly impossible to see in them any good, much less encourage them with the good that is there. When we have something against another person, what happens is a bitterness can begin to grow within us. And it grows within our hearts where no one else can see it. And it can distort the whole way we view that person. That bitterness in the heart acts as glasses whereby we see that person and we see all their actions and we begin to judge their motives and all our judgments against them because it's being driven by a bitterness All our judgments can be uncharitable. The book of Hebrews says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The writer of Hebrews is drawing from what Moses said in Deuteronomy 29. Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. Are there any among us who have allowed poison to infest your soul so that it hurts, or in some cases kills, your relationship with others. A bitter root is by definition a poisonous root. The Bible says it will have disastrous effects in your own life and in the lives towards those whom it is directed. We think that we can hold in our bitterness towards another person, but the poison... Just like an infectious disease, it reaches the object of our disdain. Even if we try to be very self-disciplined and not uh, show any kind of disdain or show any kind of bitterness. Maybe it will be in subtle, almost in undetectable ways, but it will reach them. The bitterness will certainly manifest itself in the absence of good that you might otherwise do for that person. Holding in bitterness towards another person is not a display of love. Holding in bitterness towards another person is sinful in the eyes of God. And that's where part of the, the temptation is, is I am being so disciplined not to say what I really want to say to that person. And so I'm acting lovingly by not saying this. And Paul says, and God says, that that is Sinful because your love must be genuine. Your love must abhor what is evil. Bitterness in your heart toward another person is evil. Of course, I'm not saying that then you should open your mouth and let the poison flow. So if God will not allow you to hold the poison in, and if God will not allow you to let the poison out, What is God calling you to do? God is calling you to turn to Him. And refusing to turn to God because you are refusing to love another person is dangerous. When you fail to love another person and you are unwilling to love that person, you are refusing God rather than just acting bitterly towards another person. Listen again to Hebrews 12, this passage that I read a few minutes ago. Listen to the first part of it. It's easy to skip over the first part. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. If you're unwilling to strive for peace with others, this passage is saying that you are unconcerned for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It says that people who have failed to obtain the grace of of God, or it says that people indeed have failed to obtain the grace of God because they are so intent on holding on to their bitterness towards another person. The picture here is that you've got to be willing to let go of that bitterness to grab hold of or obtain the grace of God. can't love your hatred and hold on to the grace of God at the same time. Unfortunately, this bitterness and poison shows up in many relationships in life and sadly, in many marriages. One um, failure or crossword gives birth to anger. And the anger can become like a seed planted in the soul. And over time, the anger unrepented of germinates and it grows roots. And the roots grow into a plant. And sometimes the plant is allowed to grow into a great tree. Think of some of these oak trees out here. And you've got oak trees of bitterness that have grown up against another person. Against another person that you have made vows to. I'm not saying that only one person is responsible. Invariably, where there's a plant or a tree of bitterness, there's another plant or tree of bitterness that's always standing right there beside it. And neither person is willing to chop down their own tree of bitterness, but is rather waiting for the other to chop down their own tree. And it's a sad existence. But I want to tell you this morning, God's grace is sufficient. You can let go of your bitterness and you can give it into God's hands. God was able to create the world out of nothing. God was able to preserve His people, the Israelites, in spite of themselves, in spite of their continual rebellion because He was intent on bringing His Son, our Savior, into the world. And God was able to save your own soul from spiritual death, even though your heart was spiritually hostile to God. In other words, God can do anything. God can do everything. And God is able to help you love your adversary. Whether your adversary be a difficult next-door neighbor, whether your adversary be an unreasonable boss, whether your adversary be someone here in this congregation or whether this adversary be your, spa- your spouse, God's grace is sufficient. You can trust Him to repent. You can trust Him to have Him cut down and root out the bitterness that has been allowed to grow into a tree in your life. You can trust Him to root out bitterness even if your adversary never ever makes one step towards you in repentance. You can trust God. His grace is sufficient. Look to Him. Keep your eyes on Him. And He will drive that repentance in your life. And that repentance will drive growth in your life and it will drive growth in love even toward your adversary in Christ let's pray together father we have been considering this subject of love and so often happens when we consider the subject of love your definition so much higher and so much more holy than our definition of love that a sermon that would think that we would think would would make us happy 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 drives us to our knees in sadness because we recognize how poor we are at loving others especially when we remember your great and perfect love for us in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to love well. Help us to continually repent of our uh, love that is hypocritical and is not genuine. Help us to continually be growing in the grace of the Lord Jesus and thereby growing as lovers of other people through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.